Good morning. It's Thursday, June 27th, and you are listening to the 24-7 Sports Morning Blitz, a daily podcast catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news, all within 15 minutes or fewer. My name is Connor Tapp, and I'm joined on the other line this and every weekday by 24-7 Sports College Sports Editor, Trey Scott. Trey, what's going on? And with 58 days to go until the start of the college football season, we have also maybe seen the end of the college football free agency era. Uh, That's at least according to Dan Wolken of USA Today, dropped a uh, pretty good Twitter bombshell on everyone's timelines Wednesday morning. Connor, I'm going to kind of read through what he's got and then let's let's sort of unpack uh, a lot of it. So so according to Wolken, uh, the, the NCAA Division One Council is expected uh, to approve a package of new guidelines that are essentially going to tighten up uh, transfer waiver requests, transfer waiver approvals. Um, the updated guidelines and directives, according to Wolken, which in many cases appear to specify and narrow the circumstances in which athletes should be given waivers, uh, it's going to kind of raise the documentation required to obtain them. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Compliance staffs at D1 schools have already been uh, made aware of the proposals. Connor, let me uh, let me. Th- there's two words here uh, that the NCAA is essentially adding to its verbiage: extenuating and extraordinary. If you want to transfer and play immediately at a school, you're going to need documentation of extenuating and extraordinary events. Uh, said attorney Tom Mars to Wolken. Across the board, the proposed new guidelines raise the bar for schools seeking a waiver on behalf of a student athlete. Given the dramatic increase in the number of waivers being sought for the 2019-2020 season, raising the bar strikes me as a sensible short-term reaction by the Legislative Council. So, knowing all that, the NCAA is going to make it more difficult. You're going to need documentation. You're going to have to have extenuating and extraordinary circumstances. Let me provide a few examples. In cases where an athlete was run off by a coach or had their scholarship pulled for non-disciplinary reasons, like you're not good enough, the NCAA is going to require the athletics director at the previous school to submit a written statement saying the athlete did not have an opportunity to return to the team. The committee is being instructed, according to Wolken, to deny cases where the athlete can't document that they've been run off. So that's a little bit weird, right? You're asking the AD not the football coach, but the AD at a school to submit documentation, essentially that the player was run off. And in college football parlance, run off means not good enough, not up to snuff, uh, especially for a new coach. It's a little bit, uh, a little bit odd because Connor, if you're new coach, if you have a new coach coming in, essentially like why you didn't sign to play with that coach, right? Like, like what's your take on that? Yeah. I mean, th- I think <laughs> as always with the NCAA, there is, there, there are two questions to keep in mind when evaluating something new that they want to implement. The first thing is the idea. And the idea, I think, is good. Like the general idea of we want to limit or restrict the flow of transfers from what it is right now, which is immense and probably creates, among other things, a very difficult administrative burden on the NCAA to fairly make decisions on some of these cases. So I think restricting the flow and Tom, the fact that Tom Mars even thinks that's sensible, uh, I think shows that this is not totally a bad idea, I don't think. 
What, where I do think you can get into some legitimate criticisms of this change, and chief among them to me, uh, for, for many of the reasons you've brought up, is the thing about getting documentation that you've been run off by the coaching staff. Because, I mean, what does that documentation even look like? I don't know what formal process is there for running somebody off of a football team. Like, it probably happens in conversation a lot of times. And if you don't have documentation, well, then... Aren't you kind of aren't you kind of boned there? Well, I, I guess it's just you know asking the AD to submit a statement, say hey, had a had a talk with uh, Coach Davo Swinney, the player's not up to snuff, up to you know, but that and then that's, I guess that's all kind of sealed still by the NCAA, but that's that's a kind of a, a case of busy work documentation. There's some other interesting ones too. The previous guidelines, you could like this is Shea Patterson, yeah. Um, or this was just was Justin Fields, the, the racism. Uh, the previous guidelines allowed waivers to be granted for, quote, egregious behavior by a staff member or student at the previous institution, so long as the previous school did not oppose the waiver. However, the updated version says waivers should be granted for documented cases where the athlete was a victim of physical assault or abuse, sexually inappropriate behavior, racial abuse, religious discrimination, questioning of sexuality by a staff member or student at the previous institution. And it's not limited to those areas. So we're going to get into our second form of documentation here, and there's going to be another one. Thoughts on that? So (laughs) that's documentation that you're not likely to get. Yeah. I mean, that would be, I mean, I guess some of that would be tough to prove, but I mean, so... (laughs) I don't know. I on, on the one hand, you have questions about the implementation, as I talked about. But on the other, the fact that there is such an absence of guidelines right now is, I think, what has made some of these cases so frustrating. Um, and it it and it's probably frustrating for the people attempting to adjudicate these matters as well, because it just there doesn't seem to be any clear guidelines. And so I think if we know, I think if we know at a minimum these like cases of like wanton mistreatment of individuals if we know that that is going to get you a a transfer and a and a a waiver approved then i think having that out there is good like having that written down is good and that just having everything rely on the phrase mitigating circumstances i think has been a big problem and i i don't know i i actually think just adding extraordinary and extenuating doesn't help. But I think, I think the part where we're talking about codifying specific actions that a coaching staff can take that, uh, could result in someone having their, a waiver immediately proved. I think that is actually, I I think that's a step in the right direction. Yeah. The two frustrating denials this off season have been Luke Ford and Brock Hoffman, who I wanted to transfer closer to home and let's, let's, and they weren't allowed to play immediately, although they were allowed to transfer, which is that's a whole other argument here. I do want to get into this one, though. And this is this is in the case of, of a Ford or a Brock Hoffman. In cases where athletes transfer within the 100-mile radius of their home because of illness or injury to an immediate family member, the NCAA is going to require paperwork from both schools, including, here we go, a treatment plan detailing the student-athlete's caregiving responsibilities. That's nuts. If, if you believe that Luke Ford should be able to transfer to Illinois, closer to home, to be with his ailing grandparents and play immediately, then that's what you believe. 
no one in their right mind thought that Luke Ford was going to go home and as a unpaid student athlete have caregiver responsibilities for his grandparents. What is he supposed to do? Like leave film session on a Wednesday night and bring them dinner like that. Like I get that that happens, but that's not why Luke Ford was going home. Like Brock Hoffman wouldn't well, have been his, I believe it was his mother's caregiver, primary caregiver. Uh, that's let me play devil's advocate on that okay. for a minute because I mean, eighteen-year-olds starting college, a lot of them probably have grandparents who are in their late sixties, early seventies, and oh, at least yeah. possibly very likely dealing with some form of illness. So I. I I do think that if there is no threshold for, hey, and and again, we're talking about not can they transfer, can they get a waiver to play immediately, which I think sometimes gets a little bit muddled in the conversation. Um, I I think it makes a degree of sense to just say, hey, I have a... I have a 70-year-old grandmother with arthritis. Can I get this piece of paper signed? Like prob- probably every every college football player has a family member back home with some degree of illness that they could just say, all right, let me get this paperwork done. Um, so I, I, I do think that it makes a degree of sense to say, not only do I have this sick family member, but I'm involved in providing them with care now how 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 you know serious do you want to get about having them submit documentation like that could get a little invasive and cruel it seems like at a certain point but i don't know i think i I think having some level of you know we're not just signing off on anything makes sense Uh, i i appreciate you saying that because i'm catching myself when i'm reading these and kind of thinking oh this is silly or this doesn't make sense you have to remind yourself, and I'm having to do this right now, that this is not to to have the right to go to transfer to Illinois. Like Luke Ford still gets to be at Illinois. He still gets to be close to his grandparents. It's just that he doesn't play. Right. So you and I both believe that a player should have, I think we believe that they should have yeah. the, the ability to play when they want, where they want. That's a whole other NCAA issue. So if Tom Mars is cool with the fact that the NCAA is sort of piecing together, patchworking, a, a, a contingency plan until something gets figured out, whether it's are the athletes ever going to get paid for their likeness or compensated, or are they going to have total equity and free agency the way college coaches do? This is fine, but it, it does seem a little bit like putting lipstick on a pig, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, Seth Emerson at The Athletic did tweet out that his, per, and it's unclear to me if this is something he's like reporting or uh, just kind of a hunch he has, but he says that this seems just like a, a temporary measure while they work on some broader solutions. And as with everything with the NCAA, as I said a couple of times, like there's the idea of what they want to do and then the all the unintended consequences of the specific ways that they write the rules. Like I, I think a lot of us thought that an early signing period was going to be great for the student athlete. And then we, we get here and we're two years into it. And now it's kind of like, ah, there are a lot of things that are not so great about this. Um, and, and a lot of that is just down to the way it's implemented. So it'll be interesting to get our hands on like some final written rules about what this is actually going to be so that we can kind of start breaking down how this incentivizes players to or disincentivizes them to do X, Y, and Z. But right now, I, I'm I, I'm honestly a little bit surprised at the negativity 
of of the reaction to this because I I I do think some change needs to happen. Maybe these are not the changes that we need, but I mean, right now it is just. I don't want to say out of control, but like just not having any rules in place. It's less the volume of people transferring than the fact that nobody really understands what the what rules we're playing by. So a move in that direction, I think, makes a degree of sense. I think there's still going to – I agree. I think there's still going to be a little bit of uncertainty, though. Uh, these documents aren't going to be revealed to the public. Yeah. So, for instance, like a Tate Martell, he didn't get run off, did he? Uh, I mean, maybe wink, wink, you get run off. The coach can say, hey, yeah, you want to go? Yeah, you can go. We got Justin Fields. Or maybe he, you know, cites issues at Ohio State. And I think Ohio State would be less likely to to help him document those issues. Um, Yeah, the the pendulum swings back in in the favor of of the the college programs and the coaches. And I didn't even think, I thought the next move was going to be everyone's eligible or nobody's eligible. I didn't really think they were going to revise the language, but I, I would be surprised in the next two years if there's not a, a, a more total overhaul of this. I think it might have been wise to just let 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 this thing go un, unregulated for at least a full year just to kind of see what... Because I, I wouldn't have been surprised if the NCAA didn't step in and change in anything if we just saw a natural... Uh, ebb of the number of players transferring as as they kind of realize that oh like finding a destination might end up being a little bit more complicated than I thought um, and, and that kind of thing but uh, definitely a story we'll keep an eye on as it continues to get reported and as these and as some concrete rules emerge uh, or beyond what we have already. Um, well, that is all we've got for today's episode of the 24-7 Sports Morning Blitz, a one-topic episode. Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend to check us out. For Trey Scott, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you bright and early on Friday for the next edition of the 24-7 Sports Morning Blitz.